Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Dave Walker. You can call me DW. And today's podcast is a little out of the norm. I'm going to invite our guests on to get things started. First, joining us is the editor-in-chief at the Falcoholic himself, Dave Cho. Dave, how are you doing? Too bad, you know. Just happy that the Falcons played yesterday. (laughs) I think that's a debatable whether or not they played uh, <laughs> also joining us is the host of the falcoholic live kevin knight kevin how are you doing good good yeah i was gonna say like it might be a little generous to say you know played uh more like it is know, coasted but yeah yeah we'll get to that we'll get to that yes that's that is why we're here and actually we we have plenty of content at the falcoholic.com the podcast and of course falcoholic live discussing the game itself this podcast is actually to talk about maybe what may be more systemic because I think a lot of fans were alarmed at the performance that was put in on Sunday against the Seahawks. I know internally the discussions we had uh, amongst the writers seemed to echo this same theme, and I felt like this podcast would be a good avenue to explore that a little bit, at least for the next 30 minutes, to dive into what we think may be going on with this franchise, with the coaches, with the, the the entire staff and the players. So Dave, I want to start with you because I think you sort of triggered this and uh, it, it came down to this idea that this team, starting with the owner, and I want to start at the very top with Arthur Blank, it, it feels like they are still chasing the ghost of 2016. We are three full seasons removed from that Super Bowl and yet it still feels like it is influencing this team, maybe even more so now than ever, what are your thoughts on that ghost on this franchise and Arthur Blank and his response to that? Yeah, I think, you know, I wrote a little bit about this yesterday, um, just about how, you know, the franchise in terms of marketing themselves, right? Year after year, you know, and I, I know there's people out there who have never been fooled by any of this and, and have thought the team has stunk ever since 2017 wrapped up and, you know, Kudos for them. They've saved themselves a lot of heartache. But, you know, from a from a marketing perspective, this team every year does a really good job of, of saying, you know, we're better than we were a year before. You know, we've taken these decisive actions. And, you know, in spite of yourself, maybe you get a little bit of hope built up. And I think what's happened here is that the, the marketing side of the house, which is, is very good at what they do and, and good at pumping up the Falcons has also to some extent become the football side of the house, right? This mm. team thinks that their moves that they're making in the off season, they believe wholeheartedly that these are the moves that are going to make the difference. This is what's going to return them to past glory. And it's always, you know, well, we just needed to tweak the Kyle Shanahan offense. You know, we just needed to get Dan Quinn into this defensive role and really take a hands-on role, or we need to get Dan Quinn out of this hands-on defensive role. <laughs> too much responsibility. 
And there's no there's no greater reckoning in saying, you know, a team with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, I understand it's only going to rebuild so much. But there's never been any talk of the further we go down this particular path, trying to keep this offensive scheme in place, trying to make things happen with this core group of personnel, the further we're actually getting away from the Super Bowl with each passing year. And to me, that's the, the essential problem that we're facing here, right, is that this team is not... I wouldn't say drinking their own Kool-Aid, but they really do have a level of self-belief that makes it very easy for them to talk themselves into, of course, we just turned the corner in the second half of 2019, and now we're back to being a contender because they've really believed ever since that Super Bowl that they're just a, a play here, a player there, a coaching tweak here away from getting back there. That's really what it seems like to me. Yeah, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's this recurring theme for each season where things didn't work out. Uh, you know, 2017, uh, we sort of heard, you know, well, Sark, it was his first year running the offense, and a lot of people discounted it in that fashion. 2018, a lot of people pointed to the injuries, and there certainly were a deluge of them that piled up for the Falcons. And then even 2019, we saw, the, you know, as more people were getting on board with a coaching staff turnover, the, the people who were defending it were saying, oh, well, you know, Dirk Cutter uh, really didn't have enough time to learn the Shanahan offense. So do you feel like there is a lot of excuse making that maybe even we as fans bought into that has, uh, to your point, has been part of the marketing that now maybe is, is getting the ears of the wrong people who should be looking at this a little bit more critically? Yeah. Um, I mean, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy to me um, because, like, first of all, you're getting at a good point here, and that is that Dirk Cutter doesn't know how to run the Shanahan offense. He's never run it before. He didn't know how to run it. So the first problem that we encounter going back in the logic of this whole process is, why did you hire Dirk Cutter to run an offense that he's never run? And right. he, he has come out and said it to the public that he doesn't know how to run. So why in the first place was this hire made? Okay, so then we start there. You, 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 we can gloss over that for now. Then you get to this year and he says, oh, well, now I've learned the offense better. You know, we're actually, gonna, we're actually going to try to run it now. You know, kind of admitting that last year he didn't really run it because he didn't know how to run it and they didn't really run it. So, I mean, they pretended for a week and then they stopped. And, uh, you know, we're, I, we're exactly back to what, what that is this year. Um, but it's, it's like, I, I, I totally agree with the assessment that basically Dave has made, which is it's just like we're, we're kind of hanging on to this belief that we can get back to what it was without recognizing that the impetus for 2016 is probably gone. Like the, the, the reason behind that successful team was probably Kyle Shanahan, not Dan Quinn. Uh, and I think maybe there was a little too much credit given to Dan Quinn for, you know, the defense not being a train wreck uh, because, <laughs> well, I mean, let's just be honest here. Like the defense wasn't bad in 2016. I mean, legitimately it wasn't bad. So it's fine to give Quinn credit for that, but it's easy to play good defense when you're scoring 33 points a game and having one of the best offenses of all time. I mean, like it, it makes it easier. And then we've never gotten even close to that num those numbers ever since. And what do you know? The team's eight and eight, seven and nine worse every single year. Uh, so yeah. it's, it puts the team in a difficult spot. Um, and it's like, I appreciate Dan Quinn wanting to keep running the Shanahan offense because 
Matt Ryan was an MVP in it, but then hire someone who runs that offense. Like, why did we fire Steve Sarkeesian to bring in a guy who's never run the offense? Like, it it just seems like they're like a chicken with their head cut off trying to find an offensive coordinator. Like, there's a million guys out there that know how to run the West Coast offense. This isn't some niche scheme that no one's ever you know, seen before, like you could go find <laughs> Joe Schmo. I mean, you could go hire Texas Tech's guy, you know, Cliff Kingsbury shout out. You could go hire, you know, I mean, there's a million college coaches that run this offense. There's, you know, uh, Kansas City's, you know, Eric Bieniemy, who was a, a favorite that we'd hope maybe would get a shot with the Falcons last year and they didn't fire, you know, anyone. So he didn't, he didn't even get an interview, the poor guy. Uh, and, and it's like, there's, a, there, you know, we could have waited for Gary Kubiak who apparently came available uh, but no, we had to run out and hire Dirk Cutter at the drop of a hat. So, uh, yeah, I got some feelings on this, as you can tell. So I'll, I'll, I'll digress at this point. But. Yeah. Uh, Dave, going back to you, how much of this do you think is the influence of Arthur Blank? Because I, I do want to I want to preface this by saying I'm a big believer in Arthur Blank and what he has uh, done for this franchise. But simultaneously, I feel like some of these decisions have emanated from the top down and Dan Quinn may not have been here if it weren't for the support of the owner. How much of do you think, uh, how much of this do you think Arthur Blank uh, is responsible for? I think a considerable amount. I think um, if you look at the, the 2019 off season in particular, um, I thought it was very telling that, that Thomas Dimitrov came out and said something to the effect of, I promised Arthur Blank, we're going to finish the offensive line. I don't, I, I've never been comfortable, and I know that Blank has always been a hands on owner, probably more so than shows in the public. But those are not, you know, the football decisions need to be made by the football people. And whatever people think of Thomas Dimitrov um, as a GM, and I know that opinions are all over the map, he's the right guy to be making personnel decisions. And really, there shouldn't be a promise made to the owner that you have to fix this one specific thing, right? Because the Falcons had more problems than just the offensive line. And it led them to kind of impulse by a James Carpenter and a Jamon Brown when they had a Wes Schweitzer at home. Right. Um, so that was, I thought a lot of Arthur Blank's fingerprints on kind of the moves that were made the last off season. And I think there's absolutely no question that Blank is fond of Dimitrov and he's fond of Dan Quinn. And for whatever reason, that fondness is keeping him from making a change. There is no question in my mind that, that Dan Reeves, Jim Mora, Mike Smith do not get this, this 2020 season. They just don't. Yeah. Um, whether they've touched a Super Bowl or not, and I mean, Smitty went to the NFC Conference Championship, was very close to that. Um, they got their two seasons and they were gone. Um, and that was a hard and fast rule that Blank seemed to live by. And suddenly this past off season, the Falcons didn't live by that rule. And so you have to think that that's a major factor, right? I, I can't think of another reason that would have happened, especially when you consider that last year, and, I, and this is the part of the reason that I'm so unhappy with the start, and I can't take this one game in a vacuum, even though I know it's just one game intellectually, is that last year, you know, Dan Quinn took over that defense and they hired Dirk Cutter and they, they changed all three coordinators. And it was, we have to fix this thing and I'm going to take it into my own hands and it's on me. And Arthur Blank said, I expect a playoff spot. And everything went off the rails and the team. And again, this is where 
it's not the marketing department, it's not the PR department talking the Falcons into thinking this way. It's just that they're, you know, almost echoing that level of belief in themselves. They believe that that six and two from Arthur Blank down that second half was the real deal. That was what the team has been aiming for for the past two seasons, and that's why everybody's here. But when you come out as flat as they just did in that first game, like it, it, you, you have to look at it critically and say, oops, we made a mistake, I think, already, right. yes. And I, I think you can pull out of it, but this is not a good sign at all. And I think it does come at the top from, from Arthur Blank really liking and respecting these guys and believing you know, in his heart of hearts that they can bring them back to the Super Bowl because they've been there. And I think he's probably more desperate for a Super Bowl than ever, just like the rest of us. Um, So, you know, I I find it hard to blame him for feeling that way, but I think he has had a major role in this. And I think part of the reason that he's supposedly stepping back and giving Rich McKay more say this year is because otherwise, you know, we might do this all over again. You know, that's been my fear all along, especially with COVID, is that this team will fall short of expectations and Blank will step in and say, well, it was a weird year. It's a tough year. We got we to gotta keep this group together and try again next year. And I think that's the call that he's made all along. Yeah. And in, in, in fairness, uh, we've all talked about the fact that Dan Quinn is inarguably a, a great man, like just a genuine, nice uh human being and no one wants to see him fail. Uh, and let me reiterate that, uh, no one at the Falcoholic wants to see Dan Quinn fail. Um, Dimitrov may be a different story. However, Dan Quinn, we are all on board with, uh, it's just at some point you, you have to cut bait and it feels like, uh, many of us pointed rightly to last season and it was a one in seven start, but I want to point out, that they were a Nelson Aguilar drop away from being zero and eight and, and literally not winning an entire game in the first half of 2019. So, and that ultimately, regardless of what the circumstances are, falls on the head coach. And, and Kevin, I'll go to you here with this one because you mentioned 2016, the success of that season. Um, and the fact that, you know, we, we do feel like looking back, maybe it was more about what Kyle Shanahan did with the offense than it was what Dan Quinn did as a head coach. But I feel like the Super Bowl was the perfect opportunity for fans, for the owner, for everyone to sort of say goodbye to Shanahan with a foot on his backside out the door because of the fact that, you know, we all go back to it, run the damn ball. And it didn't happen uh, the the Falcons didn't win. They weren't able to close out. And I feel like that uh, finish to the Super Bowl allowed a lot of people to emotionally distance themselves from Kyle Shanahan to say he was the problem, he was the reason, and maybe over-attribute the success of that overall season to Dan Quinn and you know take it away from Shanahan because he became the boogeyman of the, the 28-3 nightmare. Um, what is your thought on Shanahan and, and Quinn and did the Falcons sort of blind themselves to the idea that, oh, we can just run this offense with anybody? Yeah, I mean, that that is part of it. And like, it's it's always nice to have a scapegoat when things go wrong. And, you know, for fans, it was Kyle Shanahan didn't run the ball. Uh, in truth, there were 
a number of reasons that the Falcons didn't win that game. The most obvious one being, you know, you don't give up a 28 to three lead. How about we start there? Uh, defense and also yep. people making decisions, you know, like it's not like that one time where Shanahan could have run the ball was the, di- was the actual difference in the game. You know, maybe you stop the Patriots one time in the second half. Maybe you, you know, pick up a block Devonte Freeman. Maybe, you know, you don't, go three straight plays, you know, with uh, a bunch of penalties and do a bunch of problems. Like there were a whole comedy of errors that led to that crushing defeat. So let's, you know, but like Shanahan, when we talk about that 2016 team, no one talks about Dan Quinn's defense pulling their weight. Everyone talks about the Falcons offense and how historic it was and all these things. And I think that's, that's the, the, the truth about that season was the offense was why that team was special, not the defense. The defense did a good job of creating takeaways, being opportunistic, getting it done when they needed to, especially in the playoffs outside of the Super Bowl. They, they, they played legitimately well against Seattle and Green Bay, and they shut those mm-hmm. teams down. It was, it was a good all-around performance, but they were feeding off of the offense. Like The offense was so good. They had the defense had so much confidence that they were like, well, we can go out and we can headhunt and we can, you know, go for these turnovers because we know if something messes up, the offense is gonna score 30 plus points, so we're fine. Uh and they've never been able to get that again, even in 2017 when Sark, you know, when Sark was doing a serviceable job and the defense was actually legitimately like a top 15, top 10 unit, uh, it wasn't the same. And then it, it's just since then we've been trying to recreate that formula without the right parts like Steve Sarkeesian like I get that higher because it was like let's swing for the fences with a with a uh, an up-and-coming offensive mind who has a lot of experience running this style of offense okay and like 2017 wasn't great it was also fine I mean they were still like a top 10 offense um and then 2018 Steve Sarkeesian's offense I think improved in several areas and it was ultimately a good offense again and then they fired him like (laughs) like is it it, it, so that to me i i think was weird uh they fired him so it's like okay well at the time we were like oh well maybe they think they can get one of these home run guys like like a gary kubiak who's like you know one of the 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 masters of this west coast scheme one of the original guys that was you know kind of doing this offense and they go, they they whiff on Kubiak, who the Broncos decide they're not going to let interview. And then they panic hire Dirk Cutter. So then it becomes a question of, you know, did we like think we could hire Kubiak and then didn't realize that the Broncos could change things? You know, uh, like uh, to me, it just screams organizational incompetence on a lot of levels because you don't fire your good offensive coordinator if you don't have someone lined up that you want to take the job. Uh, so that, to me, you know, was the first failure that they actually didn't have Kubiak lined up despite thinking they did. Uh, so they cut bait before they had a replacement, and then they panic hired a guy who they were just comfortable with, but actually didn't have any experience whatsoever with the offense. So, um, so I, I don't know how you're supposed to replicate 2016 when you don't have like any of the pieces anymore. Like, I mean, I, I have like a, a, a souvenir cup from that last game in the Georgia dome with, you know, the, the star players of that squad on the front of the cup, there's like two players left. And one of them's Matt Ryan from that group of stars. Like there, yep. that, that roster is long gone and it's still, we're, we're still pretending like this team is that team and they're not. So uh, yeah, a whole host of issues there, but the big one to me is like the, 
if 2016 didn't happen, we wouldn't be having this conversation because Quinn would have been gone probably after 2018. So, um, like it, it, that, that brush with greatness bought this regime, you know, a lot of time, like it bought them four years probably of, of extra time. Um, and then they've squandered every minute of it since 2017. Like it's been bad decision after bad decision, you know, what somebody posted on Twitter today, it was like a meme of, oh, here's all the times in the last, you know, early in the season over the last three years where Quinn's gave a press conference where he says we're pissed off. Like, yeah, we're pissed off. <laughs> it hasn't done anything for the past three years. So, like, I think we need to be a little more than pissed off at this point. So, <laughs> yeah, and I, I want to add, you know, where 2017 was concerned, I feel like there was, you know, I think people forget the Falcons did make it back to the playoffs. And in fact, they had a first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, victory over you know the Rams, which looking back, you know that was a Jared Goff that I think uh, he actually became his normal self in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. the, the Falcons benefited from that as opposed to uh, the the Sean McVay version of uh, Jared Goff, which you know looked amazing during that season and got him a uh, maybe an unjustified contract. Um, but it, I think that the fact that 2017 was semi successful made it even worse. In, in the the idea that oh we can we can get back there we were this close we were uh, a Julio Jones uh, reception in in the end zone in Philadelphia away from another NFC Championship game we were this far we were these injuries away we were and it seems like that is now becoming a recurring theme where it's we were a Keanu Neal injury away from we were a Ricardo Allen injury away from um, and. Here's what I'm seeing and what we saw uh, yesterday, which to me causes some alarm on a different level. Uh, We've already talked about the offense and how it seems to be just completely mismanaged, but we brought in Dan Quinn to fix this defense. And Dave, you said it early on, and I think it was uh, sad (laughs) in its accuracy. We've, We've gone from... Uh, bring him in to oversee the defense, bring him in to manage defense. Oh God, he can't manage defense. We need to take him out for managing the defense. Uh, At this point, we have now had yet again, another defensive minded head coach. Mike Smith was similar that has been unable to rectify this defense with the exception of maybe actually 2017, where they were a top 15 unit. Um, doesn't that shouldn't that have been the ultimate indictment of the head coach who you brought in to fix the defense in the same way that it was an indictment of, of Mike Smith, Dan Quinn was brought in to fix it. And minus one season, uh, this defense has continued to be a disaster as, as shown yesterday by nearly giving up 40 points to Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. It's real bad. Um, like I, Part of the problem with defensive head coaches and analytics has kind of shown this over the past, you know, few seasons, at least probably more than that, is that defense is volatile season to season. Like um, we it's very difficult to get consistent high level production uh, from the defense. So uh, like I just don't agree with uh, don't agree with. (laughs) <laughs> hiring defensive head coaches in general, but I wonder if uh, Dave also potentially has a take on this one. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm 
always in favor. I think one of the most important things that a head coach does and maybe naively is, you know, identifies the right players, motivates them, coaches them up, puts them in positions to succeed. And so, you know, I would, I would much rather swing for the fences with a guy that you really believe in as a defensive head coach, than go for an offensive guy, just because, you know, it's a hot name. You're trying to make an offensive hire, but that being said, the last two Falcons coaches have been defensive coaches um, and while I think both of them have achieved real success here, obviously, um, neither one of them came over and actually fixed the defense in any meaningful way. And, and so at some point, if your stated rationale for hiring a guy with a defensive background is we got to fix this defense, I think we got to be out on that. It's not working. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, it's, if he's the right guy for other reasons, fine. But, but I do think that We've seen by now that these guys just don't have the magic bullets to fix whatever cursed defense sapping groundwater we have here in Atlanta. So it's just not, it's not a high, I would support them leaning towards an offensive hire the next time, regardless, because I think it's necessary and you got to lean into Matt Ryan and Julio Jones's final years and get the most out of them that you can. Um, But, you know, I'm not broadly against defensive hires. Um, I just think it has to be for the right reason. It's like so many other things the Falcons did even Sunday or or they've done over the recent years. It might be a smart decision, but they did it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And I I would like to point out too, one of the best uh, long-term recent head coach hires uh, was it happened at the same time as Mike Smith and it happened in Baltimore. And, um, you know, that was, uh, the interesting thing there is that, uh, Harbaugh was neither a offensive nor defensive coordinator. He was a special teams coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think you have to go based on coordinator because frankly, we've seen what happens when you bring in a coordinator and, uh, as a head coach, and then you let them coach that aspect of the team. It was a freaking disaster in 2019 to the point where Quinn literally had to step back and install two guys to take his place uh, because it was so bad. So, you know, that's ultimately, I I feel like though, if you bring him in and the impetus is we need a good defense, regardless of whether you hire him to be, you know, from a, from an offensive background, a special teams background, and he doesn't give you a good defense after four or five years, that's, that is ultimately not getting the job done uh, one way or the other. Um, and to me, it is the ultimate indictment of Dan Quinn is this defense is still, uh, and after yesterday's game, still incredibly bad. Uh, and I do want to say, I want to preface all this by saying it was one game, but it is, Dave, as I think you, you mentioned earlier, it is indicative of issues we've seen going for several years now. So it's, it is one game in the new season, but the issues are carried over from 2017 and 2018 and 2019. Um, and that's what is alarming about it. So one last question to you both. Um, and the Falcons obviously go on the road next week to take on the Cowboys team that just lost a tough one on the road that has a very good defensive front. Uh, they then go on to take on the Bears, the Packers, uh, the Panthers twice, the Vikings, and the Lions, and that will be their first eight games. Uh, I think you could legitimately 
see a scenario where this Falcons team has a four and four record, a two and six record. Do you think anything below four and four, let's say three and five, two and six, each of you, do you think that that is going to result finally in a coaching change? Or do you think we are in this for the long haul of 2020? Dave, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I, I think it would probably have to be pretty terrible again. It would probably have to be a one and seven or two and six mark, you know, halfway through the year. It has to be at the point where I think Arthur Blank and Rich McKay can't look at this team and say, well, they're still in it. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. if we get to that point again, I think even in a year where you aren't putting fans in the stadium, I just think it's going to be too much. I, I think it's it's going to be clear that, you know, you have two or three veteran coaches on this coaching staff who, you know, have done head coaching elsewhere, or interim head coaching who could take over. And if it's that bad, if it's just another disaster a year after, you know, that six and two stretches the real Falcons team. I think it kind of has to happen at the bye, right? It has to happen um, halfway through the season. I, I think there's no way the Falcons, as good a job as they've done of selling themselves on this team and this group, cannot make a change at that point. And, you know, it would be somewhat out of character for Blank to do that halfway through the season. And that's why I think it would have to be really bad for him to actually do it. Now, if they are three and five, four and four, Absolutely nothing is changing until the end of the year. And, you know, I, I still am not 100% convinced as much as I'd like to be that a 500 finish doesn't, you know, make the team think that they can keep these guys around given the year, Ooh. especially especially if they f- somehow get the seventh seat in the NFC. So I, I hate to think like this. I don't particularly want this season to go off the rails, obviously. I don't want Dan Quinn to be fired if there's still good football on this team. But, you know, it's in the back of all of our minds after that first game. and I, I think it'll just depend on how bad things play out over the next little bit. Obviously, if they're winning at the bye, great. That's awesome. I'd love it. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, your, your thoughts. You agree with Dave? You think uh, uh, it's going to take a terrible record for a, a change to happen midseason? Yeah. I mean, I, I expect the leash to be shorter than it was last year, but not by much. Um so, you know, one and seven, probably not good enough. Zero and eight, obviously not good enough. Um, two and two and six, probably not going to get fired. Uh, you know, anything anything better than that, they're probably safe until the end of the season. I Arthur Blank is not the coach that generally fires people midway. That's just not really his style. But yeah. um, another straight year of like one and seven or oh and or or even worse at, at oh and eight, you know, that would I think force his hand. But yeah, it, it's they're just in a really bad spot where we've seen this story before each of the last two seasons and there's no more goodwill left in the fan base. There's no more benefit of the doubt. There's no more, Oh, well we can take a wait and see approach and things will get fixed because we've now seen for the past two years that the fixes aren't coming. And if they are coming, they're going to come way too late. Like they're going to come after yeah. the bye when we're one in seven and are have basically been mathematically eliminated from contention. So, um, you know, fans are, are going, this is going to be a brutal year if they don't start stringing some wins together soon, because fans are ready to turn on this fan base extremely uh, on this, on this team, because I mean, they, they haven't 
proven that they can make the necessary changes and they haven't made the necessary changes for several years now. Yeah. And uh, Dave, to echo and wrap up on something you said early on, this was not the start to the season that they needed, nor that they wanted clearly uh, to get fans back on board with the idea that this could be a playoff team. That was arguably the worst way to start the season towards trying to convince fans of that. Um, so clearly we will have uh, a lot of games left to play. This story can change and evolve, uh, but these are our immediate thoughts. I think it was on the minds of many fans. Uh, and I think it's good for us to, to put this out there for fans to know that uh, yes, even though we write about this site on a daily basis, um, even we uh, sort of have these doubts and these frustrations. So uh, Dave, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on? Yeah, um, I'm at the Falcoholic um, on Twitter, if you use Twitter. Otherwise, you can find my writing on the site where you're probably yelling at me in the comments. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this week, I think what we want to focus on, we have a lot of great content coming from the team. Um, but, you know, I think we're going to be focused on how does this get better? you know, what does it look like if it doesn't get better? And really, you know, how are the Falcons going to change things up um, ahead of the Cowboys game to, to make things better than they were against the Seahawks? So keep an eye out for that. Yep. Kevin, hit them with the info. Yep. So I am at Falcoholic Kevin on Twitter. The Our other show, uh, our other Falcoholic show is the Falcoholic Live. That's on YouTube on Wednesdays at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. And then after the game for the post-game coverage on Sundays. Uh, and that is at Falcoholic Live on Twitter as well. So check those out. All right, guys, for me, you can find me at Falcoholic DW, uh, the podcast at Falcoholic Pod, and, of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Dave Choate and Kevin Knight, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. Talk to you next time.